Hi, you're listening to the Grace House Podcast. We are a little country church in Clinton, Arkansas, and our mission is to glorify God in love and worship, to love one another, to teach and equip disciples for Christ, to encourage the church to do something great for God, to saturate the earth with the gospel so that multitudes will be saved. Thanks for joining us, and here is our pastor, Terry Simpson. If ever a young man came out of a blessed family, Amen. the Gaddle family is a blessed family. Amen. They are awesome. Dr. Gaddle and, and Amanda were here for a number of years, went to missionaries in China, came back and moved to Kansas City instead. And so in the meantime, Sam grew up. But he was here in our, they were, you were here in our church like, what, eight, nine, ten years? What, I don't know how, nine years, nine years. And so God, it's God's hands on him. And so I, I, I saw him preach on YouTube and I went, Sam! <laughs> I got in touch with you and I said, you got to come, you got to come. So uh, I want to ask you right now, I'm going to lay hands on Sam, and I want you to spread your hands this way with me. And uh, we're going to join in prayer together. Okay, Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this family. What a wonderful, blessed family that you allowed us to be with for nine years. And we saw how they raised their children and how they loved you and served you in this local church. And now here's the fruit of their godly lives being raised up, going to Bible college, preaching the gospel. We pray for a special anointing upon this young man. A special anointing this morning and for the rest of his life. May your power be upon him now in Jesus' name. The power of the Holy Spirit come upon you, Sam Gaddle, and do mighty works through you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Bless you, brother. All right. Introduce him. But I could say a lot more about the Gaddle family and about Sam. But uh, just a wonderful family, wonderful young man. And we praise God. Uh, we ran into them at Chick-fil-A in our travels. I mean, providentially, just ran into them. And I said, where's Sam? He's down there. He's going to preach in your church this Sunday. I said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Sam, preach for us, buddy. Amen. Yeah. Woo. Morning, everybody. So great to see all the familiar faces. I uh, I just loved uh, giving Victor. Where are you at, Victor? I love giving Victor a big old hug because he used to give me hugs when I was back here like five years ago, and I'll always remember them. But anyway, I love this place dearly, and I'm so blessed to have the opportunity um, to make like a full circle and come back here and preach. Um, and I want to. I want to take a moment, and can everybody give a hand for Pastor Terry and the elders here? We give them honor, and especially Pastor Terry, because what I remember most specifically about my childhood growing up here is that Pastor Terry would be in that seat every week, worshiping his heart out, and he sets the example in this place, and so... I just loved watching him, loved watching his fire for God. And so, yeah, they're amazing. Yes, sir. 
all the time. But anyway, let's pray, guys. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. God, I just pray that you would just speak through me and that every ear in this room would just be open to listen and that you would just speak to the people in this room, Father. Lord, I love you. I thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to be taking a look at the story of Elijah. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings 19. First Kings 19. The title of my sermon this morning will be God's Whisper. If there's one thing that I want you guys to take away from the sermon this morning, it is that we must become reliant on God in our everyday lives. We must daily take up our cross and follow him. In order to hear God's whisper, though, we must draw close to him. And so Elijah in the Bible, the prophet Elijah, he does a great job at this. And so Elijah is first introduced in 1 Kings 17. Until this point in time, Israel had been ruled by kings. And these kings slowly over time started becoming really bad. They started um, worshiping idols, worshiping gods that um, they believed would only be satisfied by prostitution, um, blood sacrifice, child sacrifice. There's some terrible stuff. There are terrible, terrible kings. And... God appointed the prophet Elijah to bring the Israelites back to him. And this is kind of a big burden, right? This is a big responsibility. But God was equipping Elijah to do that. And so we fast forward to 1 Kings 18, where we find Elijah on top of a mountain with hundreds of prophets. These prophets worshipped Baal. It was another false god. Um, They sacrificed children to him. And On this mountain, God displayed his ultimate power and glory with fire from heaven. What Elijah did is he made an altar, and on it he put the the ox or whatever he killed and um, put the fire on it. And then what he proceeded to do was dump gallons upon gallons of water on an altar. An altar is supposed to be lit on fire, right? And so what I find crazy about that is that he poured water on it. What he's doing is setting up a situation for God to do the impossible. And so God brought fire from heaven when the prophets of Baal couldn't get their God to do anything. Elijah even made fun of him. Is your God at the restroom right now? Like, I'm not seeing any response here. And so Elijah proved to them that his God was sovereign. His God was king overall. And so what I want to focus on today is Elijah's relationship with God. Each of us in here have a relationship with God, whether that's distant, whether it's close, whatever that may be, Elijah had one, and we're going to take a look at that. And so our first point for this morning is Elijah's three crises. Crises is just plural for crisis, and we all know a crisis is not a good thing. We don't like those. And so look at me with 1 Kings 19, verse 1. So we had just talked about how um, Elijah had prayed God would bring fire upon the altar on the mountain. And so Elijah came down from there. And what we see next in these verses is that King Ahab saw this. He was an evil king, and he went and told the even more evil queen, Jezebel. And so read with me verses 1 through 3. 
And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. When Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he, Elijah, was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So I want to paint a picture real quickly. Have any of you in this room, raise their hands, been afraid of a big mean dog before? Yeah, quite a bit of us. If you haven't, then we'd like to pray for you. But I was chased by one once. It was a big old pit bull. Her name was Sugar. Um, don't know why. They're always the vicious ones when they have the cute names. And Sugar, Sugar chased me. She was a vicious, vicious pit bull. And I just remember the fear that I felt while I was running. I was like, I don't want to get bitten. This would hurt. But what I didn't realize as I started running away from this dog that was chasing me was that my parents were standing right next to me. My parents were right there. And what I did instead, instead of remembering that they're my protectors, is that I just ran. I was not going to get bitten that day. And so in our own lives, we need to realize that when problems come, when issues rise up in our lives, when a dog starts to chase us, we need to realize that we have a parent right there. That parent is God, and God is there to protect you. God is there to lead you out of that danger, and yet we still run in fear. And so just like Elijah ran from Jezebel because she was going to kill him, just like he ran from Jezebel, he was afraid. And so uh, she threatened to kill him, and because, and when he ran, he was afraid. And my question is, why was Elijah afraid? Hadn't he just seen God bring fire from heaven? Hadn't he just seen God do the impossible? And so when Elijah didn't see immediate provision in a situation that called for it, when Jezebel was threatening to kill him, and when Elijah didn't see God do something, strike Jezebel dead, he ran because he was faithless. And so I want to take a moment and um, name three crises that Elijah went through. And that first one would be that Elijah was fatigued. So read with me in verse 4, 1 Kings 19, verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. I am no better than my father's. In a different translation, it says ancestors, the people that lived before him. In this verse, we can see that Elijah is ready to throw in the towel. He's done. He wants to give up. He is completely diminished of all strength. He is ready to die because he's so tired of everything that is going on. And so when he says that he doesn't want to end up like his ancestors who have already died, we need, to, we need to realize that those ancestors were prophets also. Those ancestors were also killed by Jezebel. And so Elijah in this moment was feeling a little bit faithless, right? He was 
um, in the same situation as so many before him. And he was like, God, am I just going to end up like them? Am I going to end up dead, having done nothing, having not even brought Israel back to God? Will my life just be purposeless? And so many of you guys here in this room think that you're living a purposeless life. So many of you guys have been running from this dog for so long that you've just grown tired. You've grown weary. You're exhausted. This dog has been chasing you, and you haven't realized that your parent is right there. And so, if any of you guys do feel that way, I want you to know you are loved. You're loved by God. No matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter what mistakes you've made, God loves you. He loves you so much. Turn to the person on your right and tell them, you are loved. Now tell the person on your left, you are loved. You are loved. So let's get to our crisis in which we find Elijah faithless. Look at verses 9 through 10 with me. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah explains to God that he has served him diligently. He has put in so much hard work, but he feels like it was all a futile effort. Elijah was sent by God to redeem the Israelites from Baal and bring them back to the God who loves them, but he has no faith that God is going to use him to complete this mission. In fact, Elijah almost believes that he's the only hope that Israel has for reunification with God. Elijah has burdened himself with that huge responsibility of returning the Israelites back to God. Um, Quick story. I graduated from a private Christian school, and Yes, most of the students there were Christian, but there were so many who did not harbor a personal relationship with God. And because of that, there was a lot of terrible, terrible things going on, inappropriate relationships, um, abusive substances, um, the list goes on, you name it. Um, And I felt so heavily burdened by their issues as an upperclassman that I felt almost responsible that they didn't have a relationship with God. I thought that me as one of the top students in the school was responsible for why they didn't care about God. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not being a good enough influence. Maybe I'm not leading well. Maybe there's something wrong with me. And so I came to this place just like Elijah thinking that I was the one, that I was the deliverance, that I was the savior for the school. And that just wasn't right. That just wasn't right. I was doing it in my own power and not God's. And so before we go back to Elijah, I want everybody in this room to ask themselves, am I facing a situation? Am I facing a dog that makes me want to be fearful, fatigued, or faithless? Am I pursuing God or am I trying to escape? Do I want to give up or do I want to keep going under the strength of our Father God? 
If you're in a crisis like Elijah, this next part is for you. My second point for this morning is God's three provisions. Elijah had three crises, and what God does is responds to each of those with a provision. He blesses Elijah. Turn with me to 1 Kings 19, 5 through 8. We're going to backtrack a little bit. And it says, And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate, drank, and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again in a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey ahead is too great. I would freak out if I saw an angel. I'm just going to be honest. It's a big, holy presence, and I don't deserve to be in that presence. And so Elijah was ministered to by an angel. Um, In fact, if you look at the original meaning of angel in this passage, it it is called a Christophany. It is a, a pre-incarnate Christ. It is Jesus Christ before he was born on this earth, but it is um, an angel, pretty much, that was Jesus. It's hard to explain. Ask Pastor Terry. He knows all about it. Um, but Jesus came and ministered to Elijah. Jesus touched Elijah and gave him food, gave him water. And so Jesus combated the first crisis that Elijah had, he was fearful, right? And came and comforted him. God provided spiritual comfort to draw his eyes away from his earthly situation. And he was filled with food. He was cared for. This wasn't a distraction from reality, but rather it was a moment of peace in a time of distress. How many of you guys desire that peace? You've been running from that dog. You've been running for so long and you're just tired, and you want that peace. You're like, God, I know I'm in the middle of a storm, but I just want you. I just want you, Father. Next, we find that God provides restoration. Read verses 7 and 8 with me. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And so Elijah rose, he ate and he drank, and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. In verse 7, we can see that the angel comes again. This isn't a one-time thing. This provision is constant, right? God is continuing to provide for Elijah. And so God is trying to teach Elijah to lean on him. God is walking Elijah through these hard things, not only to, um, to raise him up, to grow him, to transform his heart, but also to help Elijah to realize that he needs to lean on God, right? We all do. God had a plan for Elijah, and God has a plan for you. And it is so much greater than you could ever imagine. Whether that's you getting to speak in front of crowds of a thousand or to minister to people one-on-one, God has a plan to use you for his kingdom. Amen? So God provides Elijah with even more food. This last meal that God gave him was like a stamina power-up. It says in verse 8, And the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb. Where can I find myself some of that? I'm I'm tired of eating ramen. No more of that. Get that out of here. I need that constant provision. Praise Jesus. But that's crazy, right? 
an entire month and 10 days with nothing but one meal. And that enabled him to go on this long journey to this mountain. This mountain was kind of far away from where he was at. Um, But Elijah was empowered to walk 40 days. He wasn't just sitting there for 40 days. He wasn't laying back, letting the calories slowly tick away. He was walking. He was running. He was crawling, probably. I would be doing that. But Elijah was exhausted, right? And so finally, the last provision that God brings Elijah is relief. Read verses 9 through 14 with me. And there Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I and I alone, and they seek to take my life away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore at the mountains, and broken in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there's the sound of a low whisper. A low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said again, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I alone, am left. And they seek to take my life. And so... I want to dive deep into verses 11 through 13, especially because God has Elijah stand at the opening of this cave. Once he gets to this mountain, God has Elijah stand at the opening of this cave and he shows them three dramatic events, three visions. One of those being an earthquake, a mighty wind, a blazing fire. And then notice what it says after each and every one of those. And God was not in the wind. God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the fire. Elijah was probably going up to this mountain to receive something big from God. Elijah was in such a desperate place where he was like, God, I need you to do something big right now because I can't do anything. I am tired. I am hungry. I have nothing at all. I did not grab any Pop-Tarts on my way out the door. I am starving, and God, I need something from you. And so he goes up to this mountain expecting God to do big things and what God does is whispers it says after the fire there's the sound of a gentle whisper I wouldn't be expecting that I would be like Elijah expecting something big I'm on this mountain God always reaches people at high places if we remember back in Exodus Moses went up to Mount Sinai Mount Horeb Mount Sinai they're the same thing And Elijah went up there expecting the same revelation as Moses. Moses went up there and received the Ten Commandments and was was ministered to by God himself. He had to put a veil over his face because of how powerful the glory of God was on that mountain. Elijah came up to the same place expecting just what he thought Moses had, and he didn't get it. 
But instead, he got something so much better. Because he was in such a place of destitution, exhaustion, God was able to bring his full focus on him. He was like, Elijah, you're up here. Look at me. Look at me. And so throughout this entire journey, God has been teaching Elijah to depend on him, to lean on him. God didn't want Elijah to search for things that don't last, but rather the everlasting father. Elijah had already been fasting for 40 days, right? He only had that bit of food at the beginning of the journey. Elijah got on that mountain and he had nothing. No food, no water. He was cared for by the power of God and by the power of God alone. Elijah was deprived of all earthly pleasures. The only option Elijah had on this mountain was to turn to God. God wanted Elijah to be close to him. That meant Elijah had to give up on searching for miracles, and rather he had to start listening for God's whisper. When Elijah heard it, this is verse 13, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out, stood at the entrance of the cave. Band, you can come on up. And now that he was so stripped of everything, Elijah was able to put his full focus on God. It says that he wrapped his face in his cloak because of how bright and holy the presence of the Lord was in that place. Elijah had learned that he shouldn't seek the big miracles, but rather seek the God who can make the miracles happen. Amen? Elijah was now in such a place of intimacy with the Lord that he was able to receive full relief from the burdens that he had placed on himself. And so some of you can relate to this. We've been talking about this dog illustration and that you've been running from a problem in your life. And maybe you in this room, you've been running from this problem for a very long time. This problem has been nagging at you, biting at your heels. You go to school every day to face the pain and abuse from your classmates. You go to a job that you don't like. You've been struggling with an addiction and you can't break free. And maybe you just want to end it all. You're done running from the dog. You want to give up. I want to say that this moment right now is for you. Yeah. So I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to do something different in this room. Everybody with your heads bowed, eyes closed. This is a moment for you. This is a moment between you and God. So what I ask is that if you related to what I said about a dog chasing you, you've got a problem in life and you're ready to let go. You're ready to seek God. You're ready to rededicate your life and your relationship to him. I would ask that you come forward and stand at these, at the altar on the count of three. What you're doing is coming to the altar so that we can not only pray for you and be alongside you, but also that you can just give your life to God. Because let me tell you, God has changed my life. I was in a place of destitution and, and depression. I had nothing. I had no friends. I was lonely. I had nothing. I was just like Elijah. And what God did is that he found me in such a dark place. And he said, Samuel, I'm here. I'm standing right next to you. All you have to do is take my hand. And so if any of you in here relate to that, 
I would ask on the count of three that you come forward to these altars and we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray that you would choose to accept the hand that God has held out toward you. So on the count of three, one, this is the best decision you'll ever make in your life. Two, God wants a relationship with you. And three, come forward to the altars.